0: As you know, we are marching our way through the book of Exodus. Uh, last time we marched our way through the book of, of Genesis. It took an entire year to do that. Now we're marching our way through the book of Exodus. It'll take us an entire year to get this one done as well. But it's really an exciting time because what we do is we try to capitalize upon at least one principle from each chapter that we can apply in our, our life today. The Bible is one of the most ancient books on the planet, and yet it is still very, very relevant to our present day experiences which makes it the most important book on the planet. Exodus applied. Here are the questions that I try to present each time as uh, we march through that lesson. And so here you go. Take a screenshot of that, and you will be able to kind of fill in the blanks as we move along. You got it? All right. As we move into Exodus chapter 5, I'm going to give this title to my sermon. When the world objects to our faith. What does that look like? And what should we do in response to it? When the world objects to our faith. Here's the passage. You notice I've broken into three parts just because we can't get the whole chapter up there. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Later on, verse 7, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. So Pharaoh is responding spitefully to this request to go and worship God. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, or on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. Then a little later in the passage, Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. When the world objects to your faith, there are at least three things that take place. I suppose I suspect there's many more, but there are three things that are going to take place in this passage. I think you are going to read, readily identify with. But as you readily identify with these three these three things, I want you to be bolstered in your faith, lifted up, recognize number one that you're not the only one suffering in this particular way. And number two, that throughout history, God has given us all kinds of principles and how to deal with that, not the least of which we find here in Exodus chapter 5. So let's just start enumerating a few of these. Number one, when the world objects to our faith, they make it feel like it's insignificant. That's one of the first things that they're going to do. When they object to your faith, they're going to, to try to make you feel like your belief system is insignificant. It's it's not important. That's why sending our children off for the majority of their waking hours every school day to the public school system is such a horrible, horrible decision to make. Because in the process, what we're doing is we're allowing somebody in the world to dominate their value system and we know what the world believes with regards to God. We know what our government is pushing with regards to God and it's not a firm belief in him. If anything, it's just the opposite. And so <clears throat> they're going to belittle your faith. They're going to make it seem insignificant. And as they make it seem insignificant, you're going to second guess it. Now, as an adult watching this, you say to yourself, but I've got a strong faith because I have regular Bible study and prayer time. I said, but what about little Johnny, who's seven years old? Can you say the same thing for him? And yet that little Johnny is being sent off into the public school system to have the world constantly bombard, make light of his faith. And so he goes to Sunday school on Sunday morning, and they give him a coloring page about Noah's Ark. It's pretty much as deep as it gets sometimes in our Sunday school classes. Then he goes to school on Monday morning, and they begin to belittle the concept, the idea the fairy tale of the Great Flood. Is he able to stand up underneath that? And after he has all those years being bombarded through the public school system, undermining his faith, what do you think is going to happen when he finally gets an opportunity to graduate? I'll tell you what's happening. 70 plus percent of our kids being raised in the church, 70 plus percent of them, upon graduation from high school, leave the church, most of whom never come back because moms and dads allowed the world to make our faith look insignificant. You see what Pharaoh does here. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I'm Pharaoh. I'm king of the known world. Talk to me about this God who wants you to go off and worship in the wilderness. I don't even know him. I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to. And so you see what he does is he undermines the faith of, or he attempts to undermine the faith of Moses and Aaron. In the process, the word's no doubt going to get back to all the people, and he's trying to make the faith of the Jew, the faith of Israel, look insignificant. At this moment in time, I'm king. I'm boss, I'll tell you what to do, forget God, because look, as you say to your God, save us, I will respond by doubling your workload. Which do you feel more, the God who doesn't seem to be speaking to you directly, or the lash on your back as you're not producing enough bricks? You see, that's the argument that they'll make. And because we are so more in tuned with physical suffering, physical experiences, than we are with spiritual experiences, the reality of the physical experience overweighs the reality of the spiritual experience, and our faith feels insignificant. I go back to the public school scenario. So little Johnny regularly has his faith undermined, belittled, not just by the teachers, not just by the government-run curriculum, but also by his peers who are being raised in secular homes that don't have any real value for God's stuff. And so he's just constantly throughout the day having his faith undermined. Parents, one of the worst decisions you can make as a parent, one of the worst decisions you can make as a parent, is to send them to public schools, children to public schools. Because the world will make their faith look insignificant. Number two, when the world objects to our faith, they make it feel like it's insincere. If they can't undermine it from the standpoint of making it look insignificant, they will at least undermine it from the standpoint of, you're kind of lying to yourself, which is really kind of sort of part of the first point as well. They'll, they'll say, you know, it's, it's really kind of a fantasy that you're living in. You're, you're lying to yourself here. A lot of people will refer to Christianity as a crutch, for instance, rather than a reality. Notice what Pharaoh does here. He says, let heavier work be laid on them, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh indicates that they're lying. They don't really want to go off in the desert because they've got a real passion for their God. They want to go off in the desert so they can have a few days off. They're lazy. They're lying. And you see, the world will do the same thing for you on Sundays. Perhaps you've had this experience and and you've got a job and maybe they're expanding their hours and now they want to stay open on Sundays. And so they come to you and they say, look, you're going to have to work next Sunday. And so you've got a choice and you either go to them and you say, I can't do that because on Sundays I spend time with God's people. Or you just cave and you say, okay, well, it's just what I've got to do. What i got to do. If you take the first one without question, your employer at some point is going to undermine your convictions by saying, look, it's not going to hurt you to take one day or one uh, Sunday a month, let's say, or whatever it may be. It's not going to hurt you to miss church. You're lying to yourself that you really need God that much. That's what they're saying to you. And so when the world objects to your faith, they're going to try to make it look like it's insincere, that you're living in a fantasy world, that God is really not as important as you seem to think he is. And they'll make fun of you, unfortunately, with regards to that. Let me just draw a second one, because this is even more creepy than than the first, with regards to having a secular job. I've even had this second one happen to me with regards to people in the church. Uh, I I press, as you know, this idea that it's very important for us to to restore the homemaker, full-time homemaker, full-time homeschooler, because she's a full-time homemaker, she can be a full-time homeschooler, and the home church... Well, those first two once got me, well, they actually got me fired. And in one of the comments that the elder, chief elder of this group, was making toward me was he said, Sonny, you sound like you've gone off and become an Amish. You see what he did there? Your stuff, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself that that's really what God wants, that he really desires that level of dedication and loyalty. And so you're lying in your own mind. An elder of God's family had the lack of backbone and and courage and and immaturity, definitely immature spiritually speaking, to make a statement like that. Be careful. It's not just the world. Sometimes it's folks within the church. And then number three, when the world objects to our faith, they make it feel like it's interfering. This is probably the biggest one of all, that uh, it's interfering with real life. Watch what happens here. Moses turned to the Lord. So after all this is happening, and, and Pharaoh's going to take away the straw, so they now not only have to, to maintain the same number of bricks, but they've also got to increase their work to go out and get the straw, to make the bricks, etc. Once he's been really mean like that, Moses is just, I don't know what in the world to do. And he throws his hands up, and he comes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Notice the phraseology. Why have you done evil to this people? Now, he's going to associate it with Pharaoh down here. For since I came to Pharaoh and speaking your name, he has done evil to this people. And so, but, so basically, Moses is saying, because you sent me, you are at fault for making Pharaoh disgusted and increasing the workload. Why have you done evil to this people? And then he concludes in this way, rather bold. You have not delivered your people at all. You said to me up there on the mountain that I was gonna go and get your folks. And you haven't even delivered it. In fact, we've gone backwards. We're not delivered. We're under worse workload than we were before. Notice what is happening here. The world will make you feel like God is interfering, which is exactly what took place. Now remember, this is all manipulated by Pharaoh, not God. Pharaoh's the one who said you can't go. Pharaoh's the one who's gonna double their workload. Pharaoh's the one who is who's making the task masters uh, beat them and, and 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 cause them to do even more work. That's all on Pharaoh. God said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no, I won't do her. That's all on Pharaoh. But in that process, watch what happens because of a lazy faith. So often we conclude that our faith is interfering. If I just didn't have to get up on Sunday mornings and assemble with God's people, imagine what I could be doing. See how? Your faith is interfering with your life. If I could just kind of, you know, fudge on my taxes, man, finances would be so much better. My faith is interfering. And because we are people who can slap our hand You know, pinch our cheek, uh, feel food in our mouth, see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and we're all attuned to those physical attributes, and those are the primary in our life. A God who seems to be silent gets shuffled off into the background, and we aren't paying attention to him. And our faith, at times, seems to be interfering with the rest of our physical senses, Imagine how much better I could live if I didn't have these values of God at work in my life. I could cheat. I could steal. And we play that crazy scenario over in our mind until eventually we really believe that our faith is interfering. When you consider the way that the mental, the the physical mind works with regards to some of these things. And you recognize the temptation Satan uses, such as in this case, to manipulate and bring that about. And then we reapply it to my original illustration of sending Johnny off to school, seven years old, being bombarded with folks and their positions that make his faith feel insignificant, insincere. And then lastly, imagine Johnny the friends that you could have if you just weren't so religious. If you just didn't talk about God all the time. I'll close with a personal illustration. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I was an athlete and wasn't half bad. Played basketball, football, baseball, even wrestled a little bit. I found it interesting though, that as long as I was on the mat, on the court, on the baseball diamond, that I I was part of the group. I was included. But, you know, on Fridays, especially football season, on Fridays after a big game, everybody on the way out the locker room giving me the high fives, you know, way to go, Sonny, all that kind of thing, and and pat me on the rear end, whatever, and then they were gone. They didn't invite me to go to the parties. I wasn't included in the post-win celebrations, those kind of things, because, well, that's a preacher's kid. He's not going to drink. He's not going to do drugs. He's not going to be any fun. Why invite him? And there was a dark period in my life when I began to see the disconnect between the joys of the world and my faith. And I began to consider and ask myself, is it possible that my faith is interfering with the real joys that I could have in life? Now, I'm thankful So very thankful that I had godly parents, a godly little sister, and some other godly friends who stood with me during that dark, dark time. I'm so very, very thankful for that. But many folks do not have that. We've got to watch for the world, what the world is doing with regards to our faith and the way that they object. And we've got to stand by individuals, especially the little ones. Stop placing little ones into the tutelage for the majority of their waking hours every school day of folks who are going to make their faith feel insignificant, insincere, and try to convince them that their faith is interfering with real joy in life. We've got to do better, parents, Christians, as we try to keep one another accountable. When the world objects to your faith, they're going to do at least these three things and more. But you stand strong. Thank you for being with me. I really appreciate you and love you. This is Sonny Chow saying, Be there. Matthew sixteen, twenty-six. Here are the five questions that we tried to cover in that lesson.